tonight on an all-new episode of Playing Records with John. <laughs> Go to your happy place. One, two, three, four, five. And count to five. It's pretty good to be alive. That it's great to be alive. When you're playing records with John. Hey, all you lucky listeners out there in earbud land, and welcome to another exciting episode of Playing Records with John. I'm your host, John, and my guest in this episode is my old friend, Brad Armstrong. Brad was one of the creative forces behind the great band 13 Ghosts, and he has since released three solo albums, the most recent of which, Heart Like a Sigil, has just come out on Flower Moon Records, or about a month ago, but that's just coming out, you know, in, in like geological time. And you're going to hear all about that album in the conversation to come. I did want to mention that this is sort of a return for Brad to the podcast. He was on the first episode of Playing Records with John. And whereas now you can find new episodes of the show on the FYIZ podcast feed, the old show was just on its own feed. So if you search for Playing Records with John on most podcatcher apps, you should see entries for the FYIZ era of the show, which is the current era of the show. But you will also see 15 or 16 old episodes that were the original run of this podcast. And uh, I have plans to move them over to the FYIZ feed and do stereo mixes of them. As of now, they're all in mono for reasons I don't really feel like explaining again. And uh, for now, you'll also have to find them on that feed. So just remember, Playing Records with John is the name of the show and always has been. And only now is it on the FYIZ feed. And I think I've just confused anyone who thought they understood. So let's get on to my conversation with Brad Armstrong about his new album and, uh, you know, many, many subtopics. Many, many. And for those of you that like to play drinking games, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, let me just say that you'll get a lot to drink if you drink every time we say the word vibe. But if you drink every time we say the word record there will be a liquid shortage in your area. Hey, Brad. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, by all means. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. You were the first person that I talked to for one of these things. And um, I, I actually went back and listened to that uh, episode, the first episode of Playing Records with John today, yeah, to kind yeah. of see, see where we left it in terms of your music. But also, I was I didn't expect to have this walk down memory lane of like, when I first started, I didn't really know. Like, it wasn't going to be a promotional thing exactly. I just knew I wanted to talk to some of my friends who made music. Uh-huh about their stuff right and so i can hear that sort of oh this is more like a field recording of us hanging out in your studio late at night um it's like two o'clock or something is when we start recording on the conversation and right. uh i was thinking it's funny that well there's one thing about that one i felt similar at about eight o'clock tonight when we started this one yeah. as i used to feel at 2 a.m <laughs> but but also just the fact that yeah like it was much more like we were sitting there listening to the music and and so there was a cringe factor for you of having oh, to yeah, sit there yeah. and listen to your own music while we got, re- got ready to talk about it. Whereas sure. now it's it's like this. You've, you've sent me your album. I've listened to it. We're going to talk about it. You, right. you don't have to sit here and watch me listen to the album. So I feel like that, <laughs> that's probably an improvement, right? <laughs> that is definitely an improvement. I would, I would hope that the, the music might be somewhat improved as well. The last time we talked, you were kind of wrapping up 
13 Ghosts or had just wrapped up 13 Ghosts and it had been a few years since you put anything out. And uh-huh. now you've put out in the years since, I think we talked in like 2013, you've put out, this will be your third solo album that's coming out. So, right. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Did, do you feel like there's a big difference between what you're doing as Brad Armstrong and what you were doing as 13 Ghosts? I do. Um, I think that when we did the band and stuff, um, we attempted to make everything in service of the song, as I remember, you know, and, and um, that meant that if the song didn't need drums or something, uh, it wouldn't take drums. Or if it needed a drum machine, then the, maybe the drummer was out of luck or whatever for that little bit. But nevertheless, it was still a, you know, it was in your mind, like, well, we can't make a record of of things that don't have drums on them if we're a band with a drummer. You know what I mean? So, right. so I think that's different in that now I can truly say, if I want to make a tune and I want to bring in drums for the last 30 seconds of the song, I'm a lot more inclined to do that uh, because I'm likely the one playing the drums myself and I don't, I'm never married to anything. You know what I mean? Because I, you know, it's not like if you're in a band, you know, like when I was with the Dex teens or something and I had a guitar part on a tune, uh, and you know, I'm going to cut the part, you know, there's a part of me that's inevitably going to be like, well, screw that, man. That's my only thing that I have on the tune. But now I don't, I'll, I will implode it and at, without thinking twice at any, at the drop of a hat. And that's not something that we would have necessarily done back in the day because it involved, you know, a bunch of other guys and like getting set up and doing all the thing. And it's a session and we've already done it twice. And oh, do we have another reel of tape and how many reels has this one been taped over and all that bullshit. And now I can just do whatever, yeah. whenever. So it's there's no preciousness to it, I think, which is, I hope, a good thing. I think you can over-intellectualize that part of it. Because if you were the primary songwriter for a band, and then now you're the songwriter for for yourself, right. you haven't changed radically in terms of the sort of things you're interested in doing musically, but you, but you are able to sort of follow, like you said, an idea uh, to its logical conclusion, right. servicing a, a band involves bringing songs into a practice space that like are malleable. And when you're recording it in a, in a different way from the ground up, you can just plan it a little bit more. I think that it's almost like, I'm impressed with bands that are able to write material together and consistently do that. not a huge leap to say okay the stuff you were doing as brad armstrong could have been it could have been the next 13 ghosts album but the fact that it's not it did seem like a point of starting over for you yeah that was what 2016 that empire came out yeah um, that's right and that's right and and some of those songs had maybe been with you for a couple of years i know one sure. of them uh no vain apology was one that you played for me a few years before that or at least some version of that one and I, you already mentioned the dexatines you were you were playing with with them mm-hmm. and you but you consistently have played with uh, uh, Maria Taylor mm-hmm. and you know artists associated with that. So I guess what I'm saying is there does seem like there was a period where you had to make a decision maybe that you were going to put out another record. Well, so like in the, the for that first one there, I don't have any songs, but I feel like it's time to make a record. 
So then I start to sit down and write songs specifically, you know, like I'm now it's time to start putting this thing together. And then it's time to start recording this thing. And then you get it mastered and then you put it out in the world and then you forget about it. And it, then you have a period of rest. Uh, and then it f starts feeling like a time to do a thing again. Um, I think maybe what's changing for me as I move forward now is like, I think I am finally just starting to at least write and demo stuff like on the regular instead of waiting until it's like, and I think Maria writes records like this too, you know, uh, where it's, um, uh, you, you need a record, you, you want, you feel like you got to get a record. So you sit down to, you know, specifically to write 10 songs or 12 songs or whatever it is. Uh, it's a different way of doing it. You know, it used to be the, the rolling thing, and I, maybe I'm getting back to that. I don't know. Now, I'm not sure. But anyway, I'm not even sure what I'm answering anymore. <laughs> Though I may walk here alone In this powder and bone It is said that I was born haunted Though the hours, they break away Like a ghost from the grave so I remain until the end of my days Born haunted I'm glad I went back and listened to your first two records today to get ready for this because it really, it gave me like my talking points a little bit more for the new one because this, this new record, there's like a warmth to it mm -hmm. and a cohesiveness to it that feels like even the songs that kind of break away from the tone, like there's a couple of more rockin' songs or, or up-tempo songs mixed in with the group of moderately, the whole batch is moderately kind of, it's not like a downer record, but it's a mid-tempo kind mm -hmm. of some, sometimes very quiet album. I mean, that's, that's my territory. It is your territory, but <laughs> I do think that when I was listening to those earlier records, it sounded a little bit more like, okay, the production element of this song has its own kind of production world, and this song has its own kind of production world, and they fit nicely together. I see. I see what you're saying. The new yeah. at record sounds like a similar process was applied to all these different songs. There's something, there's some murkiness, there's some, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of pressed to extremes within the mix. And if, I mean, I'm hoping we'll talk about some specifics, but it, it just did, it just did feel like there was something, maybe that urgency you were talking about, like kind of time to make a record and then like making a record. Mm -hmm. I've already said cohesive. What's another word that basically means the same thing? I'll just say cohesive again. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. It, it, well, yeah, it was. I think it was cohesive in the way that um, uh, I I decided uh, on the front of it. Uh, it was COVID when I started writing it, you know, and uh, I had done a couple little one-off things uh, with Maria, you know, little whatever Facebooky things. You know, you make a video, you know, the thing that went around with the split screens, all that kind of shit. So we did a couple of those things, and. I decided I wanted to make a record and I decided I wanted her to be, you know, involved in it, uh, in the process of it and stuff. So, so I started writing tunes with kind of with that in mind. And, um, when I wrote all the tunes, it was like, I mean, I wrote all the tunes, uh, for the, that's probably the first time that that's happened. I'm trying to think, is there, a, is there an old song on this one? I don't think there is. Usually I have to pad something out or I, I like reach back in the back catalog and grab something, uh, just cause I, I either don't have quite enough tunes or I feel like this one got got away from me and I want to try one more shot at it or whatever. Uh, this time, everything was written for this thing. And I think this is the first time I've ever done that, you know? Uh, so it was cohesive because of that fact. And I was recording them as I was writing them. So I didn't like set it up and, and do 
weird different little chunks of things. It was like a it was a process that I started in a you know September or November or whenever the hell it was, and then I wrapped it up in March or whatever, and that was the thing. So it was really a, a document of a time and in, in in a way that I've never done. We did it once with Thirteen Ghosts, but other than that. It's always been like this stretched out over a bunch of years bullshit. So yeah, it was cohesive, I think. And, and also like when I was doing drums and stuff, I mean, I had, the, I finally figured out the studio and I finally figured out how to like, you know, make my space do what I want pretty quickly. Uh, so like, you know, bring the drums in from the basement, set them up over there and I can get a sound pretty quick and uh, do, do a bunch of drums and then, you know, do a bunch of pianos or something, you know, and I got a piano. That was another thing. I didn't have a piano since I moved up here and I finally got a piano for this last record. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, that, that definitely was part of the scene. Like the guitars are, there's a consistent guitar tone, that kind of stuff, you know? My daddy and my uncles throwing knives at a fissure chained in the willows round. My brother and me in the old Grand Prix smoking dope and playing cowpunk songs from 1983. Sin man, I wish we lived in times as cool as these. And I guess we haven't really said the name of the album, but Heart Like a Sigil is mm -hmm. is the is the title. When did you have that title? And if you maybe talk a little bit about why that kind of sums it up for you. Well, you know, I was trying to come up with an old 13 Ghost title for a record at some point or another. I think it was the second or third 13 Ghost record. And I was talking to Matt Sylvia about titling records. And Matt uh, Sylvia is a mutual friend of ours for listeners who aren't close personal friends. <laughs> there are a couple out there. I was like, I don't know what to call it. And he goes, look, just go through the lyrics of the thing and find a line that works, uh, that sounds not shitty, and then call the record that. And I was like, oh, okay, The Strangest Colored Lights. That's great. And then I've done that pretty much ever since. Like, every time I touch. So that's just like, I just, I'm, anytime I'm making a record, when I get done, I don't think about titling it. I don't think about, I'm trying not, like, I, I don't want to hate records anymore when I'm done with them. That's the other thing. So I'm, I'm not doing a million takes. I'm not going back and fixing stuff much. You know, like, if the drums are wildly fucked up, I might do another pass or something. But, like, you know what I mean? I'm trying to really... I think this went back to, you and I were talking about this a little bit, like the idea, this was almost like, I wanted to release just the demos, you know, uh, when I was just making songs and just these sort of shitty iPhone, I would record an iPhone demo and then dump it into Pro Tools and just dump some crap on it in one take. And then it felt like a complete thing to me and it was good. I'm glad I decided not to do that. But the point being is that uh, I make the, the record and then uh, look for a line, man, and that makes sense to the thing. And seems like, uh, you know, the, the, that one kind of applied uh, in some way or another to the thing, you know, um, hard on sleeve. It just felt like it pointed to something. I, I don't know what, you know, that's another thing. I try not to try not to get into my own bullshit too much. 
know? <laughs> Often it's not part of some master plan, this chin-stroking thing where you've sat down and you've thought it through. It's like you discovered something that seemed reasonably intelligent as you were stumbling through. <laughs> <laughs> Heart like a sigil uh, came out of my face when I was uh, had the chords and I was trying to write the words and I just you know I'll try, if it's not coming out I'll just kind of sit back and just play and see mm -hmm. what happens when I open my mouth you know and that's what came out of the thing and I was like I don't know what the hell this means but but I like it you know it feels right so I could backload it with a bunch of memory and or a bunch of meaning and shit if you want you know if people wanted to hear yeah. that shit I guess but I don't feel inclined to I mean I think it. You know, we know what a sigil is, and if you don't know what a sigil is, you can certainly Google it, and you know, then you can apply the thing in the way that you want to, or you can not give a shit, and, and that's okay too. You know, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny to talk about lyrics in this way too, because I know that we also both really labor over them at times, and like, yeah, make yeah, them, yeah, I work make hard them special. on them for sure, right? Yeah. So it's like I don't mean to say like we're not pretending to be cavalier, but there is days, yeah, but there is still this element of like once they're done and you have them and you can sing them, you're sort of like it's almost like it's out of my hands at that point, you know? I, That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I didn't want to imply that I was like just, you know, sort of spouting off shit. What I mean is, is that in order to break a thing, in order to break through to a thing, I'm trying to get into the place where I can be free and let shit come out of me that might not otherwise do. And then we can figure out what it means and stuff, in which I did, you know, and, and mm -hmm. always do. But I mean, I think that's another thing that's really different is I work on songs now for a long time. Some of these tunes on this thing, uh, like I say that I, that I, that I wrote the tunes for this record and I did, but like some of them were like, I had a riff that I was trying to do something with for like, you know, a long time. And it's been in my iPhone or something as just a guitar riff or something. And, th and then when it's time to make the record, I go through that thing. I go through the 6,000 voice memos that I have and mm -hmm. listen to them and say, which is the thing that I'm going to develop today or whatever, you know? And, and it's, um, it's a process that doesn't happen quickly anymore. You write songs in a day or something. That is over. Yeah. Like now it's a minimum of a week. You know what I mean? What made you change your mind about leaving them as is and then turning them into this very, not, not, not like overly produced, but this is a, there's a lot of production on this album. Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, and that's just the way it always is. You start off with some kind of notion and then you end up producing the shit out of it. You know, it's always, <laughs> you can't get away from it. But I really feel like it was uh, because uh, Maria asked me to, when COVID happened, she asked me to do a cover of that Homeward Bound tune, mm -hmm. Simon and Garfunkel tune. And so we did that and it felt really good. And then I decided I wanted to write a COVID song. And so I wrote mine. Everybody probably wrote one. I wrote mine. And I got her to sing on it, and I got Taylor to play guitar on it, and did like a little, little Taylor Hollingsworth, that is. Uh, did a little um, thing. You know, I was really into that John Prine record that, that uh, I think it's called The Tree of Forgiveness. Is that right? I don't know. The, the one that, that came out, the last one he put out before he died. It's such a great record, but it really like, I think I started off wanting to write just songwriter songs, you know what I mean? And so I started writing songwriter songs, but inevitably, like I always start off a thing with a with a thing like oh well I'm I'm gonna make a singer songwriter record now and it's gonna be you know 
uh, acoustic guitars and piano, and that's it. And it's going to be harmony vocals, and and then I can't stick with it. I call that parameters. I always have a set of parameters. Like guys that have been in bands with me have made fun of me for always having like some 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 rules I'm trying some to follow light. for the next yeah. batch. But but yeah. to me, it's like that's how I discern what I'm doing. That's different. I mean, that's how I make it different from the last thing. I sometimes. always start with that shit, and then I'll throw it out the window every time. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, that's the thing. I get like three songs into something, and then I just start doing whatever I'm going to do. You know, so I, the next parameter thing that I have is I think I'm through with records, albums. I think I only want to do EPs, which is a form that I've always enjoyed in the first place. Mm -hmm. You just couldn't, no record company's going to put out an EP because it's not profitable to put out a five song thing because you need to put out a 10 song thing to make it cost effective. It's like, you know, I guess just the expense of promoting a record or whatever. Well, now that Spotify has happened and sort of ruined planet Earth, um, in the in the <laughs> process of that, one of the inadvertent fallouts is that we're back to um, shorter things and people doing EPs and and double single releases. Like you release a single with a friggin' B side on it, you know, and and that's something that can be really neat. It's it's great for people that are not trying to make a living doing it. You know, it's terrible for people that are trying to pay the bills. Oh, yes. Sometimes it feels like the end of the road. Gas tanks drive. I'm realizing, talking about this, I think I've probably contradicted myself five times in this thing already, and I'm realizing that I really, you know, I, there's no, I don't have any any plan when I do anything, ever. It just kind of happens the way it happens, and I think maybe if there's a cohesion, it's because I've been pushing record on myself now for, uh, well, over 10 years now. Uh, I've been the engineer, writer, uh, mixer, sometimes mastering, whatever. You know, I do 100% of it and play everything and then bring in mm -hmm. just a few people, but it's become a completely self-contained thing to the point that I now have, it's a little bit second nature at this point about, I don't have to get a vocal sound or a drum sound anymore, man. I just throw the stuff up and it happens and that allows it to be uh, I'm not saying these are, I'm not trying to act like these are great sounds or not great sounds. I'm not talking about that. What I mean is, is that I can get a, a palatable a workable uh, thing pretty quickly and that allows me to like just do a few takes quick and things can happen sort of easier than they used to so mm -hmm. maybe they're less belabored you know like I don't do a lot of takes anymore man I, I used to work out solos for a long time and I mean some of that stuff we did back in 13 Ghost Day that might be you know 30 takes or something on uh, on a guitar solo and that's crazy man I, I don't do anything like that anymore you know mm -hmm. stuff happens fast and the only thing that's different like on this record I finally made the decision because I started making this record I was just going to demo something down real quick and I didn't put a click to it or anything like that and, I, and then I started adding stuff to it and then it got a little messy and then I was like well, I'm just gonna keep it anyway, so I did that. And now I, I've decided that I'm gonna start every tune, at least this. I'm at least gonna make a palette that I can mix for a record if I choose mm -hmm. to. <laughs> so no more of this like low sample rates and like not, you know, mics are bullshit at the beginning or whatever. Like I'm at least gonna start as if it's on purpose. But you know, it gets, it's easy. So easier than it was a long time ago. I can see it in her eyes, she'd been running. And I took her two hands into mine 
You're a poet, and I don't mean that ironically or unironically. I just mean it's a literal thing. You're a poet. Um, but I mean, I think that you have... Uh, the last time we spoke, one of the things you said that I wanted to pick up on was you said that a line had kind of started to blur for you. Uh, and at that point, it was a recent thought. So we're talking about eight years ago or something that you had said <laughs> that it was a recent idea for you to realize that rock lyrics and poetry weren't really these different things for you. That right. That That maybe before you did think there was some division in your head. Yeah. I remember having that, saying that thing. And I, I was trying to remember now, like what, what was it about song lyrics that I didn't consider uh, to be poetry at that time? And I think now I'm realizing that uh, when I was heavy into poetry, written, you know, lit mag poetry stuff, uh, it was all, it was all free verse, like exclusively. I mean, there might be little moments of, of, of rhymed couplets or weird things that occurred within a larger thing, but by and large, uh, I was a free verse guy all the way, you know? And like, I didn't do anything with, with blank verse or, you know, I, I, like there would, there would be rhythms sometimes in the thing, some kind of meter or something maybe, but not, not regularly and not on purpose over the course of a thing and certainly no form work. You know what I mean? I wrote no sonnets. I wrote no ballads. I wrote no villanelles. That was not my deal and I didn't give a shit about any of it. And what I realize now is that working within those forms, not only is it comforting, but there's almost a, 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 a let me just say at least an equal uh, art artist artistry that can come out of working within a form as outside of that form. Um, and I think that free verse is the domain of the sort of, you know, bravado of the twenties or whatever, you know, where you really, you know, fuck the man. I don't need, I don't need rules, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, uh, I think that you can't marry the lyric and music and, and poetry until you embrace the form being constrained by a form, because that's what songs are. You can't write a, I mean, you can, I do occasionally write a song that, seems pretty free and stuff, but there's still a form to it, man. There's going to be a form always. Maybe the first time you play something, it really is this shapeless thing. But I think each time it's like they say that every time you, every time you, uh, uh, have a memory, you're not, you're not replaying it. You're rewriting it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that by the time a song is ready to be recorded, a certain amount of freedom has been squeezed out of it. Right. We should get into some specific songs on this thing. Sure, man. As you like. Most of them have Maria's vocals on them, right? Like ten out of the twelve songs. It's a very, yeah, that's right. it's got a, it. It just gives a strong flavor to the to the album. Totally. And then there are moments where her vocals kind of come to the fore. Yeah. But I think that's always the way the two of you have worked together. And I think it's the way Maria likes to work, right? She she likes to take these songs that she likes and just kind of sing them. Mm -hmm. And you, so you get like a relatively full part. I don't tell her anything man, ever. Well, why would you? I'd send her a thing, you know, and I'm just like, this is this is what I got. 
And she just does her thing. That's a feature of your records is that you get to hear these great harmonies from her. Sure. But like this new album, you said you wanted her to be involved from the beginning. What was that like? At what point was she hearing the songs? And did did you just know all along, yeah, I kind of want you to sing on this whole record? Yeah, that. I would try to send them to her at an earlier stage for the most part and let her do a thing and then tailor the music to what was happening with me and her and the basic instrument, whatever, whether it was guitar or piano or whatever. So she was singing these things to a, a, a fairly stripped down situation. And then I was building the track around that, where in the past I would send her a fucking all but mastered thing and be like, uh, drop some things on this or whatever. And then she would, and then we would, you know, and, the, and this time it was like, I just wanted her in on the front end of the tunes so that I could build the tunes around what was happening with us. And, and there may have been one or two instances where that didn't happen on this record, but for the most part, it, it was that, you know? So that's, I think, what made it mostly different is like some of these tunes, like there's that one tune, that reels out tune um, that, you know, I was, I didn't know what that was or anything. I don't, you know, I still don't really. It was a really bizarre tune for me to have recorded. It's not the kind of thing I would normally do. What marks it as, as different uh, than the norm for you? Well, it's it's more like a, like you could, like it could be in a, a like a, I don't want to say Broadway show. That's not right. But it's like, it's like theatrical yeah. in a way that my stuff isn't. And it takes on like a Orson Wellesy kind of character or something. You know what I mean? It's just a little rosebud, you know, or whatever thing. Mm -hmm. And the thing was like, I had the piano part for that. And so I sent it to Maria and I was like, I have this thing. I was like, but I have no idea what, what this, uh, what to do with this in the slightest. And she listened to it and she was like, well, it seems like it's, uh, you know, like a black and white movie kind of thing for sure. And she started riffing on that. And so then I started thinking about that. So then I made the lyrics about that. And then I sent it back to her with just piano and voice. Uh, and then she recorded just that out off the hook backing harmony stuff, man, that just is the song pretty much. It's beautiful. And it really does add to the cinematic nature of it that you're referring to, you know? Totally. And that's like, so she sort of defined the, the uh, she made the vibe of that, what it is because of that vocal. Once again, I am confronted with the breath in my chest. But when I lay down I realized when she did that, I was like, well, it doesn't need anything else. So I just did like, you know, just a bass and like this, that little nylon string guitar. And that was it, man. The rest of it is like, I mean, she created the, the palette uh, for the tune. She kind of defined the, 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 the space. The same thing happened on that uh, other tune, um, Carolina tune. Take Me Down to Carolina? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Take Me Down to Carolina. Uh, the way that starts off, again, that was, um, I sent it to her and it had like an acoustic guitar and a voice. Uh, and that may have been it. There may have been a piano on it or something, but whatever. And then I sent it to her and she did all those ooh things coming right in off the gate. And she defined the space of the tune again. And that sort of let me feel like, okay, so now I can see what it needs percussion wise. And like, 
you know, it just all of a sudden everything fell into place because she kind of laid the palette out for it, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean is that she was involved more uh, in that than in the past. I would bring her a thing that was already pretty well defined uh, and she would sing on it. Now I was giving her things that were just not defined at all and she was helping to define them, I think. That's bad, your last tear just come and gone I'm the cattle in the cow barn Done forgot their milking song Wells light, there will be water When the house dark, there will be luck When you forget Child searching, there comes a silence with no more blood. You just remember and it's significant, I guess, to mention that the album's coming out on her label. This is the first thing you've released uh, on Flower Moon Records, right? Yeah, that's right. I've been wanting to do it for so long, too. And it's just never worked out that it mm -hmm. was gonna, that I could do it. But this time it made so much sense with her uh, being all over it, you know. And, and um, anyway, so yeah, it's the first time. I'm excited as hell about it. Take me down to Carolina. I got friends up in the hills There is a place I can't remember Before this, you were on Cornelius Chapel, right? Your pr mm -hmm, previous right. two solo albums came out there, and yeah. they're still available there, right? There's vinyl and yes. everything for those 100%. bad boys. Yes, absolutely. We just happened to skip through time. We didn't we didn't record any podcasts in that time, so we didn't get to talk <laughs> much true. about them. But there's some really great songs on those uh, on those records. Well, thank you. What, what does that mean exactly? I mean, outside of just the sort of excitement of being in good company, um, what you know, what what does uh, being on Flower Moon mean to this process or to the, especially right now where you're the record's done and you're getting it out? I don't know uh, what it means to the business side of things because I've never known much about any of that. And I've always <laughs> been horrible at the, that side of things. Um, I've always made my decisions, though, based on trying to be with people that I that I related to in all ways, you know, and Wes, yeah. uh, McDonald and Scott Zapardo at, at Cornelius Chapel and stuff, they are just... The greatest, you know, Wes is just, I mean, he's just a constant champion and uh, has my back uh, no matter what. He's uh, engaged in supporting artists and is not concerned about whether or not they're selling records. Yeah. I mean, he should be, and, and I'm sure he has to be to a certain extent, but uh, he, obviously, I am not a, a great return uh, for a label. And he mm -hmm. remained and remains to this day a constant champion of, of my stuff. And, and with Maria and Ryan, obviously, it's the same way. Uh, uh, that's Ryan Dwyer runs the label. That's Maria's husband. Uh, they are, in the same way, engaged in putting out good records. And it's, you know, not about... Um, 
you know, there's not, obviously they, again, I'm sure they have an investment in trying to make uh, some kind of uh, ends meet some kind of way or something. But uh, anybody that, that would um, deal with the kind of stuff that I make is aware that it's not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be opening up for, you know, Taylor Swift or whoever. Right. So uh, I've engaged myself obviously in, 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 and wanting to be involved with people that that I love and that love me, and that it's a it's a, a relationship that's more about that than it is about business, I guess. You know what I mean? So that to me is very important. Like for instance, with like promoting a single or picking a song to push as a single, right? These are people whose instincts you would listen to. hundred percent. As of the time this is coming out, there will have been two songs released from the record, right? Yes. Uh, there was Red Nashville Skyline, and then uh, Everyone Lost. That's uh, right. Are the two are those sort of the two lead tracks from the album, and maybe talk a little bit about why they were chosen for that. Uh, Ryan's just a genius in all all things with with this kind of stuff, and and really in life, I I, I, I deferred to him completely on on the whole thing. You know what I mean? So he um, he was he's been involved in politics earlier in his life in a very uh, uh, conspicuous way, and has uh, great experience in dealing navigating the sort of. I don't know how you would describe it, the, the cultural world, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, and so he he's he's calling all the shots on this kind of stuff, and I just defer to him completely because there's a, a level of trust, you know what I mean? Um, so as far as why they were chosen, I, I honestly have to say <laughs> that I would I would have to defer to him. Um, uh, I was I, you're I basically throwing him under the bus if these things flop, right? Are you- <laughs> kind, yeah. If, if it if it if it bombs, that's it. <sighs> Nashville Skyline is an interesting choice because it does um, sort of bridge the gap. Because, you know, I have historically been identified with, you know, I don't know, Americana and rock and roll. And I don't know why, but that's kind of the camp that I end up getting dumped into or whatever. And that's just 100% not what's going on at Flower Moon, you know? So um, Mm -hmm. it was kind of an interesting choice because that, that tune is the least Americana tune that I've recorded in an awfully long time, you know? So so it did kind of, in a weird way, introduce me to whatever uh, fan base they have that does not know about me uh, in a way that, you know, that my first tune wasn't like a Rolling Stones knockoff or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that possibly was a good decision on that part. And then the second tune can be a Rolling Stones knockoff, and then we're in good yeah. shape, you know? <laughs> 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 Which, you know, ties those two songs together beautifully. That's right. <laughs>
That one was recorded on a grid. I came up with the, the, the piano loop first. And so it was like, I kind of bumped stuff around and played with it in almost a, an electronica style, which is something I never hardly do. Mostly when I, I don't, I don't cut sections and move shit around. You know what I mean? Like that's not mm -hmm. something I, I know how to obviously, but it's not something I want to do. I want to like make a song and I want to play all the parts. I don't want to loop a piano part. I mean, if it's a piano part, I've played and it's the same thing 10 times. I played it 10 times. I'm not mm -hmm. going to play it once and loop it 10 times. You know, that one was built in the session rather than before I started recording. So it's interesting. So there you go. There's my rules out the window. See? Immediately. You know, <laughs> and, the first and that becomes that becomes the lead off track, right? Of the That's right. The, you know what I mean? The new release. So, so who knows? There's no plan. It's all lies. <laughs> <laughs> We mentioned the other single, Everyone Lost. Everyone Lost. I have a certain kind of song that I refer to as like a, a hymn to humanity. Yeah, that's right. Or like a secular hymn or something like that. Yeah, for sure. I love those songs that try to take in the whole spectrum of like, who might be listening or who, who might find value in this. And, you know, like there's a little bit of like a misfit chorus or like a Island of Misfit Toys kind of vibe to the sort of people that you're singing to or that you're offering comfort to through that song. May mm -hmm. cry. Be ever gentle, may your heartbreak be tempered, for everyone lost shall come home in the end. And may you travel. Ever lifted by the hands of a stranger who will find you in the night where the margins are thin. Occasionally, I try to get into that sort of, I don't know, universal thing for a second. And because my tunes are often very specific, you know, um, very uh, scene set or very narrative or very, narrative, very yeah. tied to very tied to specific images and, 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 and are not going to have much room for a universal interpretation, you know? And, um, you know, like if you listen to a Bob Dylan tune and you listen to like, you know, uh, seven, seven curses or whatever. And it's the story of a, a, a you know, a guy getting hung for horse stealing or something. And then you listen to blowing in the wind and it's, you know, so so occasionally I want to try to write some of those blowing in the wind tunes as well. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the deal with that, I guess. I can only imagine that you share my 
sort of reluctance to adopt that voice of like the person who knows what's best for people. <laughs> I sometimes find it absurd that the character you assume as the as the protagonist of a song, you know, not you, but the royal you, any any songwriter, yeah. like that we we assume that we can pontificate. Mm. Now, I do want to talk about a couple of other tracks. I think that especially The Witch Part One, I mean, it's a great song. When I was listening to this album, it's like, I hope Brad will talk a little bit about the story here between The Witch Part One and The Witch Part Two. always noticed what you bring in noise elements very tastefully and then sometimes very brazenly in your songs but this is like a song that really relishes that letting that soundscape grow and build it feels like you really were trying to create like almost like a mental state mm -hmm. i would love to hear you talk a little bit about the story behind this and then maybe uh, the, the, you know why there's a part two what's the bookend what you know what, what are these two songs doing together well uh, you know so uh, as far as it being a story um the the, the part one one is um it's not really a. It's just a tune of. I mean, it's you know, I, like a um, character piece almost. Yeah, it's just about you know, uh, just a. a I was thinking about it like a film. You know what I mean? Like I was thinking about you know making horror movies, and I had uh, seen that film. Remember the witch? Yeah, I loved it. Uh, yeah, I thought it was just fantastic. Strange is the sound of the carillon song. The horses are dead. The fact that it's about a witch is a, a little bit arbitrary. It's just, it's more like a like folk song, you know what I mean? That's how it started. It was just like a, a folk song, like a, you know, like a, a or not like a, a children's rhyme type thing. You yeah. know what I mean? That's the place where the lyrics are coming from is like just a, one of those children's rhymes or something. And there's no deep story to it or anything. It's just that. But then the imagery of all the, the stuff and the horses and everything, um, thinking about what a cinematic event that would be and then using the, the, the sound to try and create just a little vignette of a time or something and mm -hmm. then the witch part two uh was it's just a narrative piece about and so i had originally b before i started making this record i thought that maybe i would make a record about um like folk uh horror type stuff and do like a real narrative story piece in the way that grimm's fairy tales or something, you know, it might be Brad's fairy tales or whatever shit, you know? Listeners can't and, uh, see me nodding vociferously <laughs> at this. I mean, I love all of that. I love those elements. And I love the yeah. way that I know that you're a horror buff, or at least that you've read a lot of the same horror writers I've read, or at least that you respect the genre. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I for love sure. it the, when you bring those elements into your songwriting, because even when you do a song that's like a murder ballad style thing, I think that you, I, I can feel you nodding towards that sort of unknown. Yeah that lurks around the edges of reality or that lurks around the edges of what we understand. Even on a song that doesn't seem to really go that far into the darkness, I think yeah. I know that you have those thoughts in your head. So this song really did feel like you were kind of leaning in to those 
those ideas. Yeah. And I almost thought part one was like, this is about the witch, and part two seemed to be like, well, this is some about the point of view of people who are either going to find the witch or traveling to see the witch or something. I, I did see a little division there, but I, otherwise, I yeah, I, I couldn't tell if there was a, a broader narrative forming. That was just the idea, you know. That that, that um, the second part was just a just a narrative to to uh, a story about, you know, going off. But you don't, in theory, know what they're off to do mm -hmm. until they get there and stuff. And then they come into the the woods and into the house or something. And then uh, they they find the little girl. And so to me, it had a pretty sinister uh, feeling about what these guys were going to do yeah. to this situation, you know? As we headed to her house in the stone black woods A flicker in the place where the cemetery stood A lick of fire dancing down in the shadows I felt the sun pass away as the morning fell to gray And a feeling like a cloud rolling down from the place Where the gods made the wars at the forge of Hephaestus There's a garden of light Then for her to turn into uh, actually the thing that is horrible that kills them all, I thought was a pretty fun little twist or something, whatever. But it's basically just a, a, a story kind of vibe. Um, but originally these two pieces were going to be part of this longer thing. I was going to do a record, a whole mm -hmm. record. And I had maybe six or seven or eight other tunes. Uh, and these are the two that survived the, the cutting, the process. Um, so, and I didn't really, this is what I was getting at before about the, the nice idea of the singles and the EPs and all this kind of shit, is that if I were doing that now and this was the thing, I would just release one little thing of two songs called The Witch. And this would be the two tunes that were in it. It wouldn't be on necessarily part of a larger album. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so I don't know, this is the part that I'm playing with now is the idea of like, you can then do a little two or three song thing about something. But sustaining 10, you know, fairy tales or something is not, I, I'm not great at that because I really run out of steam on, on a, you know, like those, like The Wall by Pink Floyd or whatever. I just could never do, I, I'm not, I don't have that much to say about one thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> it seems right. like to me, you know what I mean? Like I really got to stretch out a little bit, you know? It's kind of boring after a while, I guess. I mean, we throw around the term concept album a lot, and I think a lot of times it's more about a mood yeah. or an atmosphere or a, an emotional place you're writing from than it really is a desire to explore the same thought in depth like that. It's easy to say, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a concept album of uh, full car songs and then end up yeah. going like, what you would discover is, oh no, it would take me five years to write that record because right. it would take me that exactly. long to have that many songs that fit the concept that are album ready. Even concepts like that, I think starting with a concept can be a cool, it could be like a song prompt or a story prompt. Well, it's a doorway to get it open, right? Once you get the door open, there's no reason to stick with it. And we've traveled so far with our fire and our stakes falling. There's a guard in our lights as far as the eye can see. And we've traveled so far with our fire and our stakes falling. 
Well, mentioning the movie The Witch, I did want to just come back to that movie for just a second, mm-hmm. because the way that it approaches the actual physical hardships of living in this world, like mm-hmm. taking the idea of a witch back to its roots, back to this kind of old world magic, something that's deep and dark and connected, you know, that's like, it kind of scares you because it, it, it goes back so far. I felt, I did feel that in the song. Mm-hmm. This isn't, this isn't the thing from the fairy tale, but this is the thing that gave people the idea to put that character in fairy tales. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, you don't want to meet this person on their turf <laughs> right. at all. That's where the question question stuff come in. You know, who will you find and where will you, what will you see and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, just trying to keep it in a sort of uh, real simple, simplistic kind of thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm not really. I did, so I didn't really have any concept of that and and then imagery. You know what I mean? The imagery of the thing and just trying to like. Think about the imagery of, of of what would be in a kid's song, I guess, you know, yeah. about witches, if I were to write one. Because, <laughs> I mean, somebody <laughs> had to write those things, right? Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, That's one of the more electrified songs on the album, I would say, the witch part. So I'm looking at the rest of these. There's definitely electric guitar throughout, but that's one of the ones that really comes out kind of leading the charge. Um, it's the rocker. Yeah. I mean, do you have a sense of that? Like, would you, if you had an album that didn't have a rocker on it, would you feel like this thing needs a rocker? Yeah, or would you, I was talking about not? that the other day, man. I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that too. And I think that, um, may possibly be, I mean, that's definitely to my mind, a good thing. Um, I don't care. Like I spent so long, like when we had that band before, um, you know, th- there was two different songwriters, each bringing the uh, totally different kind of song. And so I could pr- live in my little world and he could live in his and it would balance itself out kind of. And, and then when he split, it was like I had to figure out how to fly all the flags or something. And what I'm realizing now, and it's sad that it took this long for me to figure it out, is I don't have to fly any flags. I can just do whatever the hell I want. And it's okay if I write 10 bummer songs that are all quarter tempo or quarter speed or whatever of, of a normal song. That's okay. I can do that. I didn't do that this time. It's called sea change. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I didn't do that, but I could do that if I wanted to. So the pressure, so the point is, like this tune is is more of a rock song, I guess, uh, because I wanted to do it, not because I felt like the record needed one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that it intimates a difference in the, the quality of tune you're going to get if uh, <laughs> I feel like I had to write it. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, like, I do think there's a, there's a thing about the obligatory, I heard someone say recently that... A lot of times when a band would have a first album that had all these different kind of songs on it, and then they would have a hit, and then the second album would sound like 10 different attempts to recreate the hit. Sure. And then if they have more hits, a lot of bands, then that's how you get stuck making the same record over and over again. Sure. second witch song it almost feels like it's more of an opener you know what i mean it feels like mm-hmm. you did that thing where you have the kind of here's the imagistic mood setting opener and then here's the fully formed catchy song that right from the start it's got this great riff when you have a riff like that does that predate the song and then you you build a song around it no The song started as a real dirgy, mournful down, like probably half that speed, and everything was super slow. And then I sped it up and got it to a point, and then I felt like it needed a, a riff. And so I just started the tune playing, 
on the thing and then sat with my guitar and 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 just fucked around with it until I came up with the right riff and then and then I hit record you know um so yeah so that riff was was uh in there because I felt like it needed something and then once it was in there uh it felt like the best thing about the song in some ways you know what I mean? <laughs> it's well funny. it's got this elemental kind of stompy cool feel yeah. to it and i think that you really nail that i mean again i think this is what i mean about this album feeling so developed or so mature might be a word that i'm hesitant to use but i do feel like you you've been playing around with this kind of song on the previous two brad armstrong records but this one feels more effortless somehow, and maybe it is just that there's an ease of knowing what kind of song you're making, but I don't think it feels like you're repeating yourself, but it definitely feels like there is a smoothness, even the way the songs blend from one to the other, but definitely within a song, like some of these really like really interesting arrangement choices that you make wow. that work. I almost have to go back and listen to it to go, oh yeah, that song really did only build up for this one part, and then it stripped right back down, but it doesn't feel like... You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like someone was just playing around with the knobs. It feels like there's something kind of conceptual to it. Well, thanks. Sure, man. It's really a good record. Maggie, please don't cry. You're paranoid. Maggie has some tapes on cellulite. And her song celluloid um mm. you were mentioning uh buzz russell uh the other songwriter from 13 ghosts i think even the harmonies on this song this one felt to me a little bit like not like oh he's doing a buzz song but like this song hits that same kind of ethereal spot that a buzz song might have hit um, and it almost felt like a 60s inflected song well sure yeah and the way that the kind of wall of harmonies comes in i, I don't know that was the, one of the other ones that to me stood out from the, the from the batch i was wondering if you would talk a little bit about the development of celluloid um well not just the song but celluloid the, the actual media <laughs> the actual media <laughs> part um and i you know i've tried to be a little bit more conscious of of, of, of discernible melodies as i've gotten older uh i didn't used to care much about the melody aspect of a tune i would just feel like lyrics and and cool production and some chords would be quite enough uh then it you know recently it started to occur to me that perhaps i should examine the idea of melody at least yeah. <laughs> in vocals um and um so I was just trying to find a melody that would fit over that part, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I did that. And then it was difficult because it was a weird turnaround a little bit. It was difficult to find words that fit it. And I didn't know what the song was about. And so I just did the thing where I was talking about, I was opening up my mouth and, and see what happens. And the, the first line popped out uh, uh, about celluloid or something, right? And then it's about what the hell rhymes with celluloid, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So then, and then, so, and also, what would be the cellular thing? So I started thinking about that movie, The Conversation, you know? Oh, God. One, another one of my favorites. We should just talk about movies instead. <laughs> <laughs> the old, uh, the old ways of, uh, like, sort of the sort of arcane, uh, methods of surveillance and also like the arcane methods of, um, I don't know, dude. It's a really weird tune, man. So like there's that and then there's like sort of a sort of a involuntary committal thing going on there maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then uh there's definitely I you know, I could even get into the lyrics, man. I they're um I mean I could, but who would listen? <laughs> <laughs> they're uh they're, yeah, it's just kind of a weird tune, man. So that was another one that I developed just less seriously, you know what I mean? Like I mean it seems to be about sort of serious dark fun things, I guess, but but uh it was just an, uh, it's fun. It was fun mm-hmm. to make that song. You were talking before about kind of stepping away from what might be considered Americana. This song is not very Americana either. Yeah, you know? that's true. Yeah, sure. Not at all. No, I, I love the way the drum part builds and builds, and it gets to that part where it's this weird, like, echoey... I don't know what that noise is, if that's an actual drum or if that's just you banging on a door or something. But- oh, that's an, that's an electrical guitar. That's an elect- did you hear what I said? That's an electrical guitar. That's what, <laughs> that's what I said. That's one of those electrical guitars. Is that like an electric guitar? <laughs> yeah. It is, in fact. Oh. I, um, yeah, I'd, I'd had a part that uh, I was just filling around with or something, improv for a second, and then that thing happened, and so I looped it. Uh, and it's the weirdest little clanky clank. Or something. Well, I mean, it works really well. You know, like maybe there's some serendipity involved there in the way that the rhythm interplays with the drums because it really does, like, it feels like the right element and it's like just random enough that it adds a little unpredictability to it, but it doesn't wreck the vibe. Well, if you want to get specific, what it is is uh, at the so if you listen to that s- specific thing you're talking about, uh, so like the the second the drums come in and it's like a full production, and then everything drops out for just a second and it holds, and then the final verse comes in, right? So the drums are in and then they fall out for just a second. Where it falls out, if you listen buried down there, that part is in that part of the song, and. It was a thing that I was just fucking around. I had an electric guitar part that I was playing, but I was just fucking around, not planning to keep a part. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I was just screwing around playing with you know, chunky chunks or whatever. And, but then it got buried in the mix. And so I was mixing it and I was like, what the fuck is that? Because I could hear it, but it was buried in the thing and I didn't know what was what track it was on or anything. So then finally I isolated it and I listened to it and I was like, that's really kind of interesting. So then I took it, copied it and brought it over there and looped it out. Uh, and so that's what that is. It was like a part from the song that I just accidentally played, I guess. I love those discoveries within a mix or when you're yeah. playing around. And then you later come back and you go, I'm, it's almost like that's an argument for staying up that extra half hour to do a little mixing. For sure. Because the next day when you play it, you're like, oh, yeah, I made some actual choices that I might not have made at any other time, you know. <laughs> and and now it's part of the song, you know. That's that's right, man. Even if you refine it, it's now there. Totally. Um, but since we, we have been talking for a little bit, we don't need to go track by track through this thing, but is there a song um, that you would like to highlight that we have not talked about, or just a song that has like an interesting story or or sonic idea or even a lyric that, that you want to make sure we cover? Man, 
<laughs> this is not my strong suit. Um, uh, well. The song So Long Goodbye uh, is a song that feels very lyrically direct, or it seems to be about the passing of somebody. Yeah. Um, was that directly inspired by anything? So that tune was probably the most purposeful thing on the record. And so I, I, that's the thing where the production is uh, directly reflecting uh, what's going on in the lyrics. So like, um, so you start off with this, uh, the character that dies or whatever, when we're at the funeral and all this stuff. Uh, but the then the the last bit is about this sort of philosophical idea that I've had for some time now about the sort of contraction and, I, and there's no basis in in science here, man. So so don't you know don't Neil deGrasse Tyson. Me I, l- l- let me just here. step in and make <laughs> it clear. I, I want to second that this is not a hard science podcast. In case there was any confusion at this point. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Brad. <laughs> so the idea is that the, the, the I'm going to try to be brief about this. You may have to edit this down, man. The universe uh, necessarily, if we're working off the Big Bang Theory, um, the idea is that the Big Bang uh, occurs and then everything expands out and then eventually there's a contraction of the universe uh, that's the part I'm a little fuzzy on, but if in fact there is a contraction of the universe eventually, and everything eventually falls into a singular point, uh, at a point of singular, uh, of infinite density, when the, everything falls back together to that infinitely dense point, I guess at that point must be where the Big Bang occurs, right? So then it explodes again and cycles out again. Uh, but the idea that's fascinating to me is that if all of the matter in the universe is compressed to an infinitely dense, infinitely small point, and it explodes, it seems that it would explode in an identical way every time it exploded, to me, just as a layman of, of complete nonsense. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you layer matter together at an infinitely dense point, then there's no more, there's gonna be uniformity in how that happens. And that uniformity would imply a lack of chaos when it exploded, which means that everything would occur as it has occurred before in an identical capacity, right? Which deletes the idea of choice and and, and intimates that you and I have had this same conversation trillions of times, right? Wow. That is really sad for the universe. So, well, or is it? Because I choose to be comforted by it in a weird way. Because my idea as an atheist is that when we die, that's the end of it forever. And you and I will never have another conversation until the end of infinity. Well, that's true. And so I really prefer to look forward to having this conversation again and say 20 or 30 trillion years when the universe collapses and re-expands mm-hmm. so that's what the tune is about uh at the end of it is about this person dying and then this idea that that we go and that we'll we'll see you each other again when this occurs um i have no idea if i was able to get across this idea no actually i think you were remarkably lucid for someone who was up past his bedtime <laughs> 
<laughs> so I started the tune off with the bell, and then we finished the tune with the bell, and everything that goes up to that point is, like, it comes in reverse, and then flips around, and then as it leaves, it's the beginning of the tune uh, backwards. And the, so all that stuff was trying to tie together. So it was like, that's the most purposeful thing I probably did on the record. Like I sat down to make that tune with the lyrics in mind and had some idea of what I wanted to do with the production and then just set about doing it, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's that. I um, love that you can get a big <laughs> sci-fi idea into a, um, pardon me, not sci-fi, science fact. No, I... you just... <laughs> this is the, the Armstrong theorem of a recursive reality. No, but um, no, I, I love that you can have a song that on when I hear it, I think it feels like saying goodbye to somebody who's gone away. And I, that is what the song is framed as. Yeah. I love that it's got those underpinnings to it. And I love that like, it, maybe if people are listening and they don't write songs, that right there is a kind of an illustration of what a song idea is like. Totally. It's like, oh, I was thinking about how the universe collapses in on itself and repeats itself infinitely over time, <laughs> and so I wrote this song that seems to be about being at someone's funeral and letting them go. You know what I mean? Like, But that idea of we'll see each other again, people say that yeah. about heaven, or people say that about right. just the future. So the notion of right. we'll see each other again, it almost has like a horror to the idea yes. that when you talk about the removal of choice and that like it's going to repeat infinitely, I think that it, it does both things. I think whenever someone talks about infinite life, it makes me go like, okay, yeah, maybe the first few hundred years, that's pretty cool. But what would that be like? Like after 10,000 years, wouldn't you be wishing <laughs> for, for something different? I mean, this, the sad truth is that that would be a nightmare of the same uh, magnitude that an infinity without life would be a nightmare. Mm -hmm. There's just no scenario here that isn't nightmarish dependent on what kind of rabbit hole you're going down in that particular moment of your life for me anyway you know what i mean there's no outcome that is uh acceptable so yeah. <laughs> so given that i mean i don't know <laughs> what the exact definition of nihilism is but that may approximate it you know <laughs> <laughs> no it's true that like it's like oh yeah you know the more i look into this there's really not a good way to feel about this. No. Live forever, <laughs> not live forever. Which do you right. prefer? Neither. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why vampires are always seems they're, they're bitter. Even the happy ones that they have a little bit of snark to yeah, them. You know, I thought about that, but I have to think that I would probably do it though. I mean, yeah. would you do it though? I would totally I, I do it. That, I mean, I think that the, probably at this age, I would still be like, I'd live on the rats. I'd do the bread pit thing. I'd be like, you know what? I've frozen. Like, this is not a great time to freeze it and live forever, <laughs> but it's better than like 20 years from now, you know? But why didn't you come to me when I was 35 and bite my neck then? <laughs> 100%, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, Brad, I, I love you, and I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about this record. I love it. I think it's amazing. Well, I love you, too. This was a great time. I hope that we do this again, and I, I hope it doesn't take 30 trillion years uh, for us to get that <laughs> to this point. To this same conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, I mean, obviously, you've got a new record out. People should go to Flower Moon Records. They should look that up. They should look up Brad Armstrong. They should look up uh, Heart Like a Sigil. But is there something you want to direct people to specifically as far as finding you online? I mean, you know, I'm at the Instagram. Uh, uh, BT Armstrong, I think, is my at. Uh, that's it. And, uh, Flower Moon is as good a place as any to, to locate me. Uh, there's all the stuff there if you want to find me. 
That's where I'm at. That's the beauty of being on a label, right? I mean, like, you know. That's right. 100%. Theoretically, they actually have something invested in selling some of your records. So. That's right. That's right. In theory, it's going to look nice and be accessible. That's right. Take your baby by the hand And help her do a high handstand uh, one of the cool things about knowing someone like Brad personally is that he will send you rough versions and demos of things, such as the incredible Dance Hall Days cover that I'm talking over right now. Uh, but I did want to tell you, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Johnny W. That's G-I-A-N-N-I-D-U-B-Y-A. And uh, you can find more episodes of this show, as well as other shows like it, on the FYIZ podcast feed. So more soon, but for now, I was going to go get cool on Craze. Anybody want to join me? Nobody? More crazy for me, I guess. You and everyone we knew could believe, do, and share in what was true of us. Dance hall days, love. Dance hall. Dance hall days, love. Take your baby by the hair and pull her close, and there, there, there. And take your baby by the ears and kiss away her darkest fear. So in phase And I dance how days We were cool on craze And when I, you, and everyone we knew Could believe, do, or share in what was true Dance holidays, love Dance holidays Dance holidays, Sapphires blue You need her and she needs you You're bullish on this this batch of songs maybe on some level. Well, I, you know, some, that's something I've never quite understood is the difference in bullish and bearish. Is bullish is charging forward and bearish is... I think bullish means you feel strong. Uh, and and, you and know, bearish and I, means you feel weak? I am not besmirching bears. I'm saying that uh, in stock terms, that means that uh, you know the market is falling. Because to me, bearish is like very aggressive as well. So I've never understood. Like bearish is almost more aggressive than a bull. This is why I have uh, made a point never to have any money. I'm too scared. <laughs> That's what I mean. 
all I can tell you for, about the stock market is you should stay away from Helioth and, and Matheson, and you should stay away from AMC. Uh, and I can tell you that from experience, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest of this shit, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> um, so what was the question? 